We're in week two of our study on the Samaritan. And we know before before Jesus tells this story, and you know what, even if you find yourself here, and this is like the first time you've been in church since 1974, or maybe you've never been in church and you've avoided this like the plague, and, and, and whatever you find yourself in, even if you don't know this story, you know this phrase, the Good Samaritan. The news labels heroes who get involved in life and make a difference, Good Samaritan. So we're kind of familiar, even from our society, even as our society drifts further away from, from kind of some traditional stuff, we still have the Bible speaking into it, and one of the ways it speaks into it is just some traditional terms, and one of them is a Good Samaritan. So we know that before Jesus tells this story, and it starts in verse 30, we had a lawyer show up to him, and we looked at this last week. The lawyer showed up to him like, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, knowing that he was talking to an expert, says, well, what does the Scripture say? And the man goes, well, it's clear. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And I went back to that this week, and I was like, okay, what does this mean? You know, because we in this society, we use love a lot. We use that word, love, and it can mean everything by, oh my God, they're so hot, I would love to. Will they go out with me because I love them too? There's just some crazy stuff, right? And will my wife love me if I pick up my clothes? Amen. I'm getting better, though. See that I or my dog chews everything up. So it's like, I say it's my wife's request. It's actually just me trying to protect things. So, um, but we use love in all sorts of different ways, and we we in a sense in our society cheapen that word. And yet, love in Scripture is very specific, right? And and, and for those of us that, that have have looked at that and, and and read the book and kind of dealt in the original language, we know that that love is is eros is physical, and then phileo is is friendship or brotherly, and then agape is 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 godlike love. And and the reason I say that is as I went back to that, what kind of word that dude used when he asked answered his own question, you know. So when he says, I love the Lord your God, and in this relationship vertically, it would make a, a sense in a sense that we've got to love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. We've got we to gotta be everything. And as, as believers, or even people that are, that are beginning to engage in a spiritual kind of journey, there's almost an, an explanation and a safety to say, I'm going to love God with everything. I'm going to sacrifice because it's distant. And it's almost theoretical. We can kind of banter about that. Well, how do you love God? Oh, I prayed Sunday and I, you know, I read Scripture and I journaled and praise God, I love Him. But then this second component, the component that we're kind of parked in for the next couple of weeks, is like, well, I love my neighbors myself. And I thought, okay, if I was that guy, I would definitely pick brotherly love. And I mean, if I had to, if I had to have my relationship with other people a determiner to begin to gain everything that God has for me, I would want to make it as easy as possible. I would want to love people, and we talked about this. I would want brotherly love, and brotherly love is is, is like okay, I love my brothers. 
I sort of, and I sort of do. Sometimes they drive me crazy, and we, you know, if you were saw us growing up, you wouldn't have thought we loved one another because we're always fighting, bad, and yet there was this idea, and as a brother, it's like, okay, I'm going to love you. Why? Because I have to. My brother, it's either that or I kill you, and I can't kill you because I can't hide your body, so I'm going to try to love you. <laughs> Anybody have any brothers like that? They, you don't understand what I'm saying. I love you. It's either that or you kill me. So I'm going to love you because I'm a Christian. And so you have that, and then you have, like, well, I have friends. I have, like, three of them, and I, like, I love them because I only have three of them, and if I lose them, it puts too much tension on the other two. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to love those guys. Rather than the people that are like me that laugh and we go out and hang out and we make fun of people and they make fun of me and they send me stupid text messages that I can't show my wife. And it's like, all oh, that stuff. And they're, they're not bad, they just are one of those things. And Because if I have to be challenged to love people horizontally in this world, I don't want it to stretch beyond the people that I already have a relationship with. Because if I already have a relationship with them, I can control that. Does that make sense? And I want to be able to say, well, I love them in a very real and tangible way, and, and it's a brotherly sort of way that, that makes sense because we have commonality. But he didn't use that word. He used agape or agape. And if you want to know that, that what that word means, turn to 1 Corinthians 13 and just read it. It's like, it's a steep word. Right? It, it is a word that when I talk about th this kind of humanity relationship, it expands beyond the people that are like me and goes to everyone that comes into my way, my path. But God asks us in Scripture, and even the Old Testament, and the lawyer knew this, that God does not ask us to limit our love to those just like us or in our tribe or in our nationality or in our ethnicity, that God asks us to expand our reach, to expand our love to those that aren't like us that come into our way. And we saw that last month or last week in, in Leviticus. And one scholar wrote that agape love is not emotional and it's not tied to relationship, it is an act of will. And if you ever write anything down this morning, that would be one of the three things I would write down. That the love that God asks for us to have other people in a relational way that is influenced by a vertical relationship with God requires an act of will because it isn't an easy thing. We laugh and it's always like, okay, I can barely love my brothers. And I kind of love them. Like if... If I, I mean, I might yell at them and call them all sorts of gloriously unchristian names, but if they called me, I would go. And we have that kind of relationship. And that's a struggle, and yet the lawyer's question and the lawyer's answer goes, well, that's not enough. And we as a church and as believers who engage in a relationship with God, who transform our hearts through the working of the Holy Spirit and the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ, are asked to love beyond what is comfortable. Oh, that stinks, man. And I wonder if the lawyer thought that. And the reason I wonder is like, he goes, okay, dude, just tell me who my neighbor is. Because like, I know I use that word that expands beyond my brothers and the familiar, but I didn't mean it. So please tell me that you can 
limit this. Because if you can't limit this, I can't do this. We know that God at times asks us to do things that in and of ourselves are very difficult. And in our own strength, it's impossible. And this is one of them. And so when the pastor stands up and says, we get to love our neighbors. If I was one of you guys and I was sitting and wasn't talking to my neighbor or text messaging or checking box scores, I would go like, how can I do this? I can't by myself do this because I'm hard-headed and I'm like opinionated and I struggle with liking people and it's just like it's difficult. And so he asks that and Jesus says, okay, that's a great answer. Do this and live. And then we know that the lawyer goes, hey, well, who is these guys? And then he goes on and tells the story. It says in verse 30, get that next slide, buddy. A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. It was a known road back in the day. It's about 17 miles. It falls about 3,000 feet in those 17 miles, so it's filled with switchbacks. Some versions call it a wilderness, so it was, it was not a well-traveled road. Yet it was a road that was traveled. And we don't know much about the guy that got beat up and mugged, left for dead, half naked. We just know that he was mugged, beat up, left half naked, left in a ditch for dead. That's what we know. And it says that, that we don't know if he's rich, we don't know if he's poor, and it says that by chance, in verse 31, the next slide, by chance this priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And again, that's not necessarily that unique, because Jericho was a place that housed a bunch of priests. And so here's a guy, a religious guy, coming home from work, and he's making that trip returning from the temple in Jerusalem to the house in Jericho. And he sees this guy and it says that they draw close enough to see him. So it wasn't like the guy was heading down 75, heading down Estes Park, 34. Saw some brown thing out of the corner of his eye and kept going because, you know, he's outrunning the cops. It just, he wasn't doing that. He was moving slow enough to have spotted him. And, 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 and people smarter than me would say, well, there's, there's this idea that here's a man in a lonely stretch of road who had saw a, a guy that he thought was dead. It's like, what's going to happen to me? And so there was, there was this idea and, and this fearfulness. But we know that if we are called to love other people, that we have to overcome a fear. We have to overcome first a fear of the unknown. And people that aren't like us always bring to the table things that we don't understand or haven't heard yet to love people. We have to engage in things that don't make sense. And then there is an idea that there is a fear of, of, of being hurt. The Pharisee traveling down a road that, that might have been abandoned or didn't look like there was other people would have been scared that the guys that bugged him saw another easy mark in them and split And so likewise, in verse 32, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed him by. I wish I could tell you that this is strange, but we know ourselves and myself that this isn't that strange of a story. You, these guys are easy marks, man. Uh, another self-righteous religious dude that don't live what he says. 
And so we, we inflame the, the religiosity of these two men. Because that makes us feel diff- better. Well, not many of us are priests or Levites, so we can just stand at a distance and go, what a typical, typical church. That's what society would do. You'd, you'd see this on, on, on Twitter. We'd have to figure out hashtag useless, hashtag doesn't believe, hashtag do what you say you're going to do, jerk. <laughs> but it's really not that strange to be fearful of, of, of the unknown and to be fearful of, of something and to engage in something that might cost us. Because in all honesty, these two, when they're asked to love someone in a ditch, it would have cost them. Tradition tells us that to the priest, or even to the Levite, that if you would have touched, and he could have looked dead, if you would have touched, he would have been defiled, which would have created all sorts of problems on the back end. The priest couldn't have done the work. And, and can I say this? Is like if you modernize this, that we are asked at times to step in the lives of people that are not like us, that don't look like us, that are not our ethnicity or our social standing. People with different sexual preferences. And we are asked by God and brought into God to love them. And it is fearful because why? It can cost us our reputation. Well, I thought you were. So if I hang with that person or I engage that person or I stand by and see and listen to that person and and, and realize that they're hurt and they're not me or anyone like me. And it's so easy for society to to lump us in and, and, and churches to lump us in and we get concerned about watering down the gospel and we get concerned about negating the power of the word and yet to love another is to step beyond our own fears and engage in the life of those that aren't like us even when it risks and even when it costs us you guys okay? okay to say that? it's a scary thing to say I know that we, we, because we want our faith tied up into a neat box and in a well-defined stress. And I'm not talk, talking about orthodoxy. I'm not talking about traditional orthodoxy. I'm talking about the engagement of humanity because of who we are in Christ. And it's easy to hold at a distance and to critique the world, and yet it is very difficult and very fearful to engage the world in all its brokenness. Because we're fearful that if we get into that water, it taints us. And yet we know that the God that we serve is greater than the one that is in this world. That the blood that was shed on Calvary covers me. Uh, He who dwells within me gives me the ability to engage, but not to become a part. To love, but not to, 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 to build up and to support. And the world needs men and women, men and women, who lay aside the religiosity. And are driven by relationship with the eternal. Because it is in that relationship that our lives and our hearts are transformed. And as our lives and our hearts are transformed, we see brokenness without condemnation. And we realize that it is not our our role to judge, but it is our role to love. 
And to pray in the Holy Spirit. And as that relationship bursts, we see transformation in them as we see transformation in us. And so you see in verse 30, but a Samaritan, verse 33, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. You see, the difference of this, and, and if you, we, we're, we want to end with, with something, I want to give time for prayer this morning, so I don't have a whole lot of time to go into this. But in the audience that was listening, the last dude you would think would be the third guy in this story would be a Samaritan. Because the lawyer was a Jew. Jesus was Jewish. The peripheral peanut gallery was probably Jewish. It would have been easy to assume the guy that got mugged was Jewish. The hero of this story would have to be Jewish. Because he's like us. And yet here Jesus and his brilliance, and if you ever want to study a storyteller, study his stories. Just flip to the parables and read them. From a literature standpoint, from a wisdom standpoint, any way you want to look at it, look at it, and it will bless you. And yeah, so Jesus entered this like the Samaritan. The last guy that should have been the guy to stop was the Samaritan. Tradition tells us that the guy in the ditch was more than likely Jewish. Just because of the road and the travels. And, and the last guy that would stop to help a Jew was a Samaritan because they hated each other. They, they hated each other on numerous grounds, but they despised each other. And, and if there was, a, there was an idea, it would have been like, <laughs> Oh, bummer, it's you. Better you than me. Love you. Good luck. God bless you. Wait for one of your brothers. Oh, they already walked by you. And yet the difference of this man was not his religion, was not his belief system, it was his heart. It says the reason Samaritan stopped was that he had compassion. You see, compassion moves you away and allows you to ignore differences and see needs. Compassion moves you from the differences of this world and gives you eyes to see needs of this world. How did he find compassion? What made him different? One scholar, one, one guy that did research, a doctor out of, out of um, where was he from? He was out of Princeton, did research. Like, why are some people compassionate and caring and other people aren't? And this guy came up, and, and it's funny, if you're in school and in doctoral levels, you study all sorts of crazy stuff, and some guy goes, hey, I'll study why people are nice and other people aren't. Why people see things and other people don't see things. So this guy discovered that the reason people are compassionate is because they remember that they one time experienced compassion from another. That they stopped and remembered that someone saw them in the ditch, to use this story. They remembered that there's not too much different between the guy that's laying there, mugged, half naked, lost everything, and me, other than the event. And I stopped and went, my God. I love this church because you guys never are afraid to admit, yeah, that was me at one time, but because of the grace of God, I can be up. I love this place because you are honest with your own frailties, but it is in your frailties that God has made strong so you can stop and go, hey man, I'm here. You see, a compassionate heart 
gives you the courage to move beyond the differences and some needs, and the needs are met tangibly. There's no person here who professes Jesus as their Lord and Savior whose heart is not being transformed. There's nobody here that before they accepted Christ as their Savior wasn't lost and dead to sin. They're dead in their sin and their trespasses. But because of their faith in Christ was made alive in Jesus. There's nobody here that professes faith in Christ that wasn't one time found along the side of the road. And dare I say, there's probably not many of us here that have an experience laying on the side of the road, watching people that you thought believed like you walk right past you. And so how can we not have compassion in the world around us? Because we've been there, done that. And so as the, uh, the worship team comes forward, we want to end this way. It says in verse 34, it said, The Samaritan, he went to him. And bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine.